everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Spooky Mountain. It's Jordy and Steph, and hopefully we're just going to scare the socks off, off you <laughs> this yeah. episode. Hopefully. Yeah. I don't know what your story is, so maybe you've... It's spooky. It's a spooky one. It's a spooky UFO one. Oh, it's a UFO. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're back oh, in that realm. It's been a while. It's, Actually, no, it hasn't been a while. No. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I thought it wasn't but it's always it's always a UFO a one popping up yeah 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 I just I've got so many this is like a super classic one though oh is it um classic fucking tale and it's so good Ooh, yeah I love it I love your is UFO your tales thank you is your spooky mine is oh my god yes I I had to think for a second what yeah, mine I'm was. Like, I'm hang on. so tired. I just can't even remember yeah. my story. Oh. <laughs> um, Wait, am I meant to have a story as well? Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. <laughs> um, mine is pretty spooky. Yeah. So you have absolutely heard. I know for a fact that oh. you've heard of this. And okay. I, to a degree where I almost feel bad doing this story because oh. this is like quintessential Steph shit. Oh, no, don't even worry. I'm so excited. Oh, I know, but I just feel like because it's such a you thing that you would do such a good job at covering this, but I just couldn't oh resist. God. Oh, please. I think I know what it is, and I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, because I gave you my hint, so. Yeah, yeah. You, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure you've, All good. you've guessed what it is, but <laughs> I it, I was on a ride researching this one, so. Oh, my God. It. If if if, I, yeah. <laughs> if it is what I think it is, then you would have had so much fun doing. Yeah, this one. it's a fun one, and it is pretty spooky. It's a pretty creepy yeah. one. Okay. So, yeah. We'll wait and oh see. So I have something very funny. Um, if everyone listened to the last episode we did, I shamelessly told my horrible acid oh, that's, story. <laughs> yeah, you did. Acid experience. Um, to the best of my knowledge. You know, of what I could remember, <laughs> I kind of try to gather the pieces of what happened that night. Um, and my friend Bronte, who was there with me that night, actually sent me a message after listening to it <laughs> and was like, wow, we have completely different views of what uh, happened so that night. Bronte, Bronte was with you the on, whole time. The whole time. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the reason why... Bronte left. So I, I said that I was like with a few people in this house and everyone was smoking pot and I didn't trust them because I wasn't smoking pot at that time. <laughs> I started a trip. Bronte wasn't smoking any pot at all. No. They're actually on nothing at all. So I was like, you are the only person I can rely on right now. You are sober. So Bronte was with me throughout this whole experience, just us two. So this is all just like, I'm just going to read it as is. Um, <laughs> they do mention my ex and I'm just going to say their name is Bob. Um, Bobby. Bobby. Bobby boy. Um, <laughs> not that I know anyone named Bob, but I just thought that would be funny. Um, so yeah, this is the message I got from Frontier, like as, <laughs> as I'm listening to it. Okay. I'm listening to the latest episode and it's so funny because the things I most vividly remember from your acid trip acid trip you didn't remember i'll tell you what well firstly it was like maybe a nine hour experience we walked around the entire night from like 8 or 9 p.m to 6 a.m wow but over such a small distance (laughs) 
We spent a long time at the park at the bottom of Lyra Mall. Uh-huh. Um, which is really dingy, like little park. Yeah. And we sat there for ages while you felt really freaked out. And I had to find somewhere where we could sit because you kept trying to call your mum to say how sorry you were to her that you were going to die. Oh, my fucking God. That is hectic. And you just wanted to say goodbye to your mum because you honestly thought you were dying. That was the worst bit for me because it was so sad and I was trying to convince you that you wouldn't die, you would be okay, and thank goodness you didn't end up calling your (laughs) mum. But after you ended up calming down a bit, we just sat in the park and I hugged you a lot and I held your hand because you were really scared and you were muttering and talking, but I couldn't make out what you were saying and you were sitting and touching the ground a lot. (laughs) And every time I would ask you, what are you saying? You would get really startled that I was there and you say, (laughs) and you say you had been talking to the grass And then this was the funniest bit for me because I think about it a lot and it always makes me laugh. The thing for me was that the whole night I really needed to do a poo, but I couldn't leave you and there wasn't a toilet anywhere. Oh, no. So finally I remember we got to your house and this detail I can't really remember, but I think Bobby Boy met us there. Um, and you and Bob said you were going to walk to his house. Um, it wouldn't have been maybe 5 or 6 a.m. You guys left. You said you were okay, but I think you were both still tripping a lot. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking, okay, great, I can finally go to the toilet. It had been about four minutes or something since we said goodbye. <laughs> I turned on the toilet light, sat down, and started to do a poo. <laughs> Then I heard tapping and I looked up and you and Bob were both standing at the big bathroom window outside with your faces staring right inside at me doing a poo. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, they're just looking at me right in the eye and I'm poking. (laughs) But you didn't seem to realise I was doing a poo and you wouldn't look away or stop knocking. So finally... I literally wiped my bum in front of you both while you stared at me in the eyes. And then I got up. Then you came inside and you drew all of these weird pictures. And I was sitting on the couch. And it was like being with my kids now. You kept coming up to me to show me each picture as you drew them. And I'd just be like, wow, yes, very nice. And then he kept going back to draw another one and then coming back to show me. Oh, my God. And then soon after this, you sort of just really calmed down and came back into your body and mind and all was normal again. Oh, my God. I didn't realise it was going to be that funny. Started off so sad and then you're like, oh, my God. And she was in, yeah. So it was a window that just never had curtains on because it was literally facing this like Ugh. like mossy wall rainforest thing. wall kind yeah. of thing that no one walked past. No. And <laughs> how the God. fuck did you this is so there's so many points to this that is hilarious. That's, so apparently we, 
So Bronwyn said later on that we wanted to get inside the house. She was like, the back door was literally unlocked the whole time. It's like you guys forgot how to open the door. Like you didn't need me to open the door. That is so funny. How did you even, because I know you can fit back through that space, but how did you end up there? Just looking for the door, I guess? Oh, we just knew that she was in there. The light was on. So we were like, help. Help us. us inside. It's also hilarious that you just don't, you didn't no remember clue. any of that. I have no, no, no idea, and which I didn't think really happened when you tripped, <laughs> like you lost your memory. Yeah, apparently but like, I literally don't remember that oh at all. Oh, my God. And you thought you were going to die as I, well. Yeah, so that part I... I do remember that. That was like mm-hmm. most of the trip was me just like honestly thinking I was going to die. But right, I don't yeah. remember that like specific part of me trying to call my mum. Right. I do remember being at the park. It was very strange. Mm. I remember a lot of it was me like touching the grass <sighs> and me saying things like, apparently when you're tripping you're not meant to touch, uh, look at your hands. Oh, and you're yeah. never meant to look at yourself in the mirror. And I was like going through all these things in my head and going, oh, I've already done it. I'm oh, gonna I'm gonna die. die. Oh, you thought like it was that. like a bad omen or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, thanks so much, Bronte, for giving us the yeah. other side of the story. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. That is, I literally just was crying so much in that. that <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to have an asthma attack. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Speaking of the Katoomba house, I actually mm. I drove past again. Did you? The other oh. day. So now. I'm a little bit obsessed with okay. every time I'm in Katoomba, yeah. I drive past. So I'm yeah. in Katoomba maybe twice a week. And every time yeah. I'm in Katoomba, I'm like, Gotta pop in. I've got to pop in. Yeah. I reckon we should just give them a letter, like write them a note and be like, hey, what's happening? Ooh. We do a podcast. You should Ooh. tell us some stories. Oh, but isn't, mm, yeah, we could. Or we, I wonder if mom, I think my mum's spoken to them. Ooh. Like has like I think because she sold the house to them. Oh, of course. So um, she would have had some. I kind might of get contact. some info off my mum and see like kind of what they're like. Yes. Like if they're approachable. Yes. Or whatever. Or will we get a shotgun to the face to? Yeah. You know, yeah. Because I don't want to. Um, but yeah, it would be very interesting yeah. to hear if they've like had any experiences. experiences. Well, we'll keep everyone updated if we do something about that because yeah. that would be Actually, awesome. Even if they didn't want to share it, it'd be like, hey, well, if you want to know a bit of history about yeah. the house, listen to the yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally, or at least just talk to them about your mm. experiences and mm. your family's experiences there. Yeah, you know? hmm. yeah. Well. We, I think we both have kind of longer stories yeah. today, yeah. tonight, so I reckon maybe we should get into it because we don't want to... Yeah, know, we don't want to drag out the start. Yeah, long. we don't want to yeah. do that. All right, cool. Yeah, well, let me get into my one. So I'll be covering one of the most well-known UFO abduction stories. Ooh. It was covered by mainstream media during the events as they unfolded. There has been also a movie made, books, and also the abductee himself appears on podcasts and UFO conventions talking about what happened to him. Cool. This is all about what happened to Travis Walton. Have you Mm -hmm. heard of him before? I have not. 
I'm shaming myself as a oh shit paranormal okay, cool. professional. Actually, I wow, that, wow, wow. Okay, yeah. no, 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 that's really good. No, that's then. exciting. I'm learning. I'm gonna learn yeah, something this is new. A, a very, very like high profile story. So I'm really excited. Awesome. Okay. Oh, exciting. Hell yeah. Um. So yes, obviously there are a lot of UFO abduction stories out there. What makes this one so special is that there were other witnesses to this, official police reports and lie detector tests. Uh, So this became a story that was very believable. We're going back to Arizona again, where Uh, we were last week. Fucking UFOs love Uh, Arizona. (laughs) Going back. Mm -hmm. And it's now 1975. Travis was 22 years old and was working as a logger in the town of Snowflake. He was seen as the wild boy rebel in the town, um, and he owned an he owned a Harley. Oh, uh, bad liked, boy! Yeah, he liked to do boxing. Ooh. He was did the bull riding thing, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like the bad boy, tough in the town. boy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he was known as someone that didn't really shy away from something dangerous or confronting. On this particular night, he was in the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest with six others finishing up after a long day of clearing trees. Now, these men were all contracted to clear trees for larger logging companies. They did not use larger equipment. It was all done by these men and their chainsaws. So mm. it was very hard work. Ooh, these very are massive physical trees. work, yeah. Very physical, yeah. One of these men would mention in an interview later on that they wouldn't just hire anyone for these jobs. They had to be very level-headed and be able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. On November the 5th, all seven of the men jumped into a pickup truck they arrived in and head back down the mountain to make their way home. It's a very loose dirt road, but in a very thick forested area. So if you can imagine large trees coming up around them as they wind down the road, they are chatting about what they're going to get, you know, what they're going to do when they get home and what they're going to have for dinner. And they notice a bright light coming through the trees. Mm -hmm. They all noticed, but didn't think too much of it. One of the men commented commented on it after a while saying it would be the full moon however someone on the other side of the truck would actually look up at the moon and say no that's not the moon then they thought oh maybe it's a forest fire however the driver mike mentioned there was no smoke so it couldn't be that at this point all the men were very curious and travis suggested to drive over and check it out They took another access road towards the light until they got to a little clearing. And then they could see what was producing this light. They all witnessed a large saucer-like object hovering in the sky. The bottom of the craft had panels that were glowing this very warm yellow light, Mm. um, which is what they saw earlier. It was not moving at all, not spinning or anything. It was completely still and about 100 feet off the ground. Oh, that's worse than seeing it move. It's just totally completely still. still. Yeah. yeah. 
As the car slowly pulls up to the clearing, Travis, the wild boy, jumps out of the truck and starts walking towards the craft to get a better look. None of them say anything as they're all in complete awe of what they're experiencing. Travis mentions later in interviews that he was scared of what he was seeing, but he was mostly just curious and wanted to get up closer to the object Mm. as he knew that no one had ever seen something like this before. Yeah, and so close as well. I know. It's like this is a once in a lifetime, not even once in a lifetime, you know. After he started taking a few more steps towards the craft, the men in the truck started to get the feeling that something was wrong. They started shouting out for Travis to get back in the car. They are now screaming at Travis, and Travis is ignoring them and walking Mm. closer and closer to the craft. He is now underneath the craft and is looking up to see the detailed mechanics of the ship. He was fascinated by this, but then the very centre of the craft started to spin and make this loud mechanical noise. All the men in the truck heard this. And they then really started to scream as loud as they could. Mm. Travis could hear their screams and knew it was time for him to get out of there. Mm. Just as he was about to turn around, a blue bolt of lightning shot out of the craft and struck Travis. Oh, my God. This would send him flying and he would land 20 feet away. Holy shit. That's a lot of stuff happening. The men in the truck all start to panic, and Mike, who was driving, got the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. They started driving as fast as they could. Now, they all say that they were convinced he was already dead. Oh, and and that's why they just left. Yeah, that's why they left. They were all crying and, like, screaming at each other. They said it was not an easy Mm. decision to leave him there, but after what they saw there, there was no way he could have survived. Oh, my God. Plus, they didn't want to be next. Of course, yeah. You would be fucking terrified yeah. of what was going to happen next if you just saw that happening to your mate. Oh. oh, my God. I was so fucked up. So after a couple of minutes of driving, Mike, who's the driver, lands on the brakes and says, we've got to go back. Oh, we can't leave in there. Oh, shit. So they all decided to stick together. And head back to the side. Oh, that's some good friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't want to all be left out in the open as well because they saw a craft early. Yeah. So they were like, okay, yeah, best to stick together. So when they start heading back to the site, there were no lights anymore and the craft was gone. So was Travis. <gasps> they all got out and searched the woods screaming for him, but he would not be found. They are all in a panic and hysterical as they're, of course, blaming themselves and have no idea what is happening. So the men decide they have to call the police and report what happened. Of course, this is going to look bad for them because a man has just disappeared Mm. and they are going to say it's a UFO. Mm. Um, But that's what they saw and they just wanted to find Travis. So they drove to the nearest payphone and Ken, one of the men, who was the most level-headed and calm out of the lot, decided to make the call. He tells the sheriff that their friend Travis has disappeared and they need to get here ASAP and they will explain everything to him him once he gets here. Just as the sheriff 
makes his way to the location of the payphone. He can see the men are all out of the truck and are in complete distress. Ken starts to explain what happened that night and leaves out the terms UFO, alien, and anything like that so he doesn't get dismissed straight away. Yeah, especially talking to cops. I mean, yeah. they would think that you were crazy. He's, yeah, so he's being quite smart there. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so Ken's making the smart move there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Mike jumps in and says, <laughs> aliens took Travis. Fucking Mike. He's always doing that. So the sheriff, of course, is like, what? Stand back. I'm going to search the truck. Oh, (laughs) knew it. Yeah, yeah. Straight away, suspicion. Yeah, he's like, all right, no. And he did this just to make sure that they weren't under the influence or anything. Um, But, of course, they weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, And further tests show that there was nothing in their systems as well. Um, During this time, the sheriff actually thought that they killed Travis and they were trying to stage a hoax Yes, because it was clear that something very intense had happened and these men were completely shaken up. Yeah, this is what I was thinking as soon as I heard you say that they were going to call the cops. It's like the cops are just going to think that they murdered this guy. Yeah. And they're just making up some story to cover their tracks, you know. It'd be so hard to try and convince him. Oh, yeah. So the sun is now starting to rise and there is a huge search up in the forest. Policemen, dogs, volunteers, but they found nothing. The sheriff walks up to the six men and says, look, you need to tell us where he is. If you do, we will go easy on you during the prosecution. The men are now really starting to become worried because if they don't find Travis, this does not look good and they will be the ones to blame. Yeah. As they are kind of talking amongst themselves, these men, they look up to the forest and they notice these men in red jackets with metal detector looking things. They thought to themselves, oh, this could be someone from the paranormal field as they mentioned UFOs. Mm. So I guess they're doing some strange testing. Mm. Uh, One of them walks up to the men in the red jacket and asks uh, who they're here with, and they don't really give them an answer. They say, oh, no one really. We're just kind of um, here by ourselves. (laughs) We're here. (laughs) Um, Which, of course, the guy thought was strange. Then he asks, what is the machine used for? And they say, it's a test if there's any radiation. Oh, They then thought, oh, my God, we might be radiated as we were near the blue beam thing. Mm. So they asked the guys in the red jacket, can you scan us um, to test if we've been radiated? Uh, But nothing came up. Then he remembers he actually, well, all the men, they changed their clothes after they spoke to the policeman oh. and when they came back up to do the the search, they were in mm-hmm. fresh clothes. But their hard hats that they were wearing are still in the truck. Right. So the men go and get their hard hats, bring them back, and the radiation levels are off the hook. Oh, shit. The it's men such a in the, good detail. It's like, yeah. oh, the hats. The men know. in the red jackets look at each other, strangely. And then they just walk off. (gasps) So they quickly run over to the sheriff and ask, who are those red jacket guys? 
who are they? Do you, do you know what's going on? And, and the sheriff is like, I, I have no idea who they are. I, I'm not sure. And they couldn't find these men in the red jackets either. They were just, they walked off into the forest and they didn't come back. Everyone else in the search, they, all the men, they asking everyone else that was part of it, all the volunteers, and they're like, I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, it's just so these, weird. These men didn't exist. So, so over the next few days, the search was still ongoing. Nothing new had come up, and the town of Snowflake really had it in for these six men. The police did not do them any favours as they were pretty much calling it a missing persons case. Although now the international media had actually picked up this story and really ran with the UFO story mm. that was originally told. Right. Journalists and media representatives were all coming to Snowflake to get more info on the case. The police were becoming really pissed off with this whole thing, so they decided to end it all by getting the country's best polygraph testers to come out and see them. So these six men sat for two hours each going through these tests. Five out of six were proven not to be lying about their story. The six men's test actually was inconclusive, which meant that he wasn't lying, but Mm. the questions were worded wrong. So they did the test again and it was proven to be not lying. Oh, six out of six, baby. So six out of six. Yeah. Um, And yeah, the polygraph tester guy said that this is insane and it was impossible for for all All of these men to beat the test if they really were lying. This is the thing is that like polygraph tests aren't always reliable, but when you've got six people... I mean, two hours worth of two hours questioning as well. It's pretty, you know, uh, convincing and the, and evidence. The America's know? best polygrapher. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Like, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Now, a couple of days down the track from this, uh, Travis returns. He's back. Travis is He's, back. Travis is where back. Where was he? Travis, he where rem- were you? I know. <laughs> so he remembers waking up face down on a road in the middle of nowhere, and it's nighttime. He sees a very bright light shining on him, so he turns around to see the same craft hovering over him. He gets himself to a payphone and calls his brother with some change that he found in his pocket. He says to him, they brought me back. The strange thing as well is Travis literally thought this was all minutes later after being taken. He had no idea how long it's been, so the last thing he remembers at this point was staring at the blue blue beam and getting struck. Hectic. His brother comes to meet him and asks him where he's been. We've all been searching for you. It's been five days. Five, five days. days since you've been seen. Yeah. Oh. Travis then really started to freak out. Yeah. He had no idea what to think of this as he literally thought he was gone for a few minutes. Mm. His brother then makes the decision to drive him to the hospital in Phoenix to get him checked out as he was in such a poor state. Mm. And he really didn't want to call the police yet because of the whole media frenzy. And he wanted to get him sorted out first. Once getting to the hospital, he asked the doctor to keep this quiet and they examined, they examined Travis. He was very dehydrated and tired, hungry, 
But nothing physical had happened to him mm. except for one puncture wound on his left arm. Oh, that's suspect. Puncture wound. Now, they wound. did test him for drugs as well, mm-hmm. but they found nothing. Plus, he wasn't a drug taker anyway. Mm. Um, but the doctor said that this was, in fact, a puncture wound from a needle. Right. Um, his brother then drove him back to his home to keep an eye on him. Uh, but as soon as they walked in the door, the phone was going off the hook. Mm. Everyone found out and they all wanted to speak to Travis. He decided to let the sheriff from the start come into the home to speak with him. The sheriff did say that he was in a catatonic state and he had no clue what was going on and could not make sense of what happened to him. Mm. The sheriff then left the home and said he will keep in touch. But everyone heard now where he was and the house was surrounded by media. Oh, that's so overwhelming. You've just had this massive thing happen and a missing time moment and now you're just being hounded by everyone. It's the fucking worst thing ever. Yeah. So the National Enquirer got in touch with them Mm. and said that they wanted to do an exclusive interview with him and they will provide a safe location for him to stay in that no one will know about. They will also provide many more tests so we can find out what actually happened to him. So, of course, they, they take him up on this offer. As it's now been a few more days, Travis has now had a bit of time to get himself together and, and uh, figured out some of the memories of what happened to him. Mm. Um, and they've all started to come to light. So what we know so far is he was struck by a blue beam of light. And then Travis remembers being in a room surrounded by an orange light. He could see people surrounding him in medical gear, so white lab coats and face masks. Mm, He thought he was in a strange hospital because he remembered he got hit. Hit, yes. So that was um, his first thought. But then he starts to see a lot clearer. His his vision's starting to focus a bit better. And he can see that there was a rectangular box thing on his chest. Then he looks up and he can see one of the professionals that was next to him become concerned. The person then leans right next to his face and he can oh. see that this was not a human. <gasps> oh, my God. It was a grey creature that stood only four feet tall and had small grey eyes, like mm. slits. Oh, imagine having that thing, like, right yeah. next to your face. Uh, oh, you just, oh, it's I can't disgusting. even. Yeah. Travis then, of course, becomes terrified mm. and starts throwing himself around and pushing everything off him. He falls off the table. Now, there were three of these creatures in the room with him and uh, they, he, well, he, Travis starts to try and attack them. He grabs one of the mm. medical instruments and he starts swinging. He's like, like, fuck you guys. Get me the fuck out of here. So they all look at him and they've got this, like, disappointed look on their face. (laughs) And then they just turn around and and walk out of the room, turn left, and then they just walk down this hall and disappear. But the door's left open and he's just left in there alone. And he's on the floor and he's like, all right, well, I'm going to just try and get the fuck out of here. So he gets to the door and instead of going left, where they went, he's like, 
I'm going right. Smart. So, Smart boy. He turns right <laughs> and it leads to another room. And there's this one chair in this room and it's facing away from him. There is only one chair and around on the walls, it's just completely blank. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, no like windows or anything like that. So Travis is like running his hands along the walls, trying to feel if there's like a lever or a button or something Mm -hmm. like that, but nothing, there's nothing there. So he turns around to look at the chair and there's, a panel of like lots of buttons on the chair. So he starts just button smashing. He's like, he's, all right, he's smashing let's see the what buttons. these do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, as he's doing this, he sees someone walk up to the doorway and it's a human. Oh, yeah. interesting. But he's in an astronaut suit, which is very strange. <laughs> Uh, but Travis recalls being so relieved because it's not one of those creatures. Yes, yeah. So he runs up to the man saying, you got to get me out of here. But he notices the man is not looking at him. His eyes are completely glazed over, like mm. he's in a trance or something. Then he grabs Travis by the arm <gasps> and leads him back the way he came. Oh, that's very <sighs> creepy. Yeah. And he goes, all right, we're going back. And then they go past a room that he previously was in. They go down a hall, down some stairs, and down the stairs it opens up into something similar like a a hangar, like an aeroplane hangar, massive. Right. And it's filled with all of these other crafts that he saw earlier. All of them are hovering like it's some sort of workshop. And he gets led to a door at the opposite end of the hangar and a bright white light fills his vision. They then start to, his eyes start to adjust and he notices three more of these astronaut guys standing there facing him next to a metal table. These men are still not looking at him. So their eyes are looking a bit off and they grab Travis and try to lay him down on the table Travis is, of course, now really fighting them off Mm. as they are not saying a word to him. They then force a gas mask over his mouth where he then passes out and then he wakes up on the road. (sighs) Fucking hell. I thought maybe they were going to try and make him into one of those, like, weird astronaut guys. Yeah. Oh, crazy. And then he wakes up on the road. Now, after he tells his story to National Enquirer, um, he gets in contact with the six other men that he worked with. He told them what happened to him and they completely believe him, like completely. They saw the abduction happen. They had no reason to believe he was lying. Mm. They all felt incredibly bad as to what happened to him. But after this reunion of all these men, they would never speak to each other again. Oh, but that was such good mates. They all went their separate ways. Mm. You can tell from their interviews that they've taken after this that they're all highly traumatised by what happened to them. Yeah, yeah. 16 lie detector tests were taken amongst the men and you can see from the interviews that they're in, they're they're very hard to watch. They're Mm. actually very sad. Right. Um, One of the men, Ken, 
Um, he becomes very upset in his interviews and he says he's mm. too scared to even look outside the window oh. because he might see a spaceship. Oh, God, I know. that's so sad. Yeah. I, that would be – that whole thing would be so traumatic to see and then yeah. I, that kind of makes sense that, like, you kind of separate yourself from the people that you experience that event yeah. with yeah. to kind of further yourself away from it. So this story will always have people divided on if it's a fact or a hoax. Yeah. Um, but try to think of what these men would get out of this. They lost their jobs. Their credibility went out mm. the window. They've lost so many friends and a lot of their families stopped talking to them as well. Mm. Um, these stories never turn out positively for the victim. And uh, mm. I do believe what happened to Travis yeah. because it's hard to deny the amount of facts that go along with this whole experience. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I guess what do you think of that one? Oh, my God. I've never heard of this, and this is probably one of my favourite, favourite stories that you've told so mm. far. It's amazing. It's cool. so, yeah. um, like, detailed. Yes. Um, it's very – it's a very um, – I think it's so detailed because there is so many angles of the story that you can kind of yes, go off. Totally. And it's not even just the details of the actual abduction, but it's like details of the other guys and yeah, um, yeah. even just hearing about what happened to them after like them being traumatized and everything like mm. that all kind of lines up and yeah, makes there's a movie sense. on this as well. Um freaking hell if, oh, fire in the sky. Oh, I think it was made in like the eighties. They really amped up the whole abduction thing in it. Like it's so, but it's like one of the best. Like um, I'll have to alien movies. Like it's like one of the craziest abduction scenes like you'll ever see. It's very famous for what it's done in that movie. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, yeah. I mean, people have gone with this story and. It's just, is like anyone that's really in the UFO field is like, oh, Travis Walton, yeah, yeah. It's like the Betty and Barney Hill. Like, yeah, well, that's who I, th- I yeah. thought you were going to be doing, like, Betty and Barney Hill yeah, yeah. when you said that it was, like, a famous UFO mm. abduction. But, no, this is just, like, almost better, I feel it's, like. I love this story so much. It's yeah. so, and also just the type of person that, he is or was or whatever yeah. you know just in terms of like is this a possible hoax like yeah I don't all know, of these men like they're all, all them, like yeah. low-key guys you know they just work hard they just go yeah. home this is at the end of their fucking day they're so tired, tired yeah. they used to do like 12 14 hour days just like chopping down wood yeah why the fuck would they want to just make up some shit like and this lose like their jobs and yeah even, like their willingness for polygraph tests and interviews and, afterwards you know it's exactly. all quite telling yeah in a way of you know their intentions or whatever Mm -hmm. you know but yeah that's amazing Mm. yeah definitely probably one of my favorite ufo stories that i've heard and just stories so far i can't believe i've never heard of it i'm so ashamed (laughs) (laughs) imagine if i don't know what you're talking about and you're you're like so confident i'm like i am confident if you don't know of this story i am going to I don't stop the podcast. <laughs> yes, I will quit. I will Shit. quit this podcast. Biggie Mountain's on the line, you guys. <laughs> We're at risk. All right. All right, well, I'm just going to get into it then. So to start off, yep. I'm just going to say a couple of things to you. 
Point Pleasant, 1966. Yeah. Does this ring a bell for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. I'm so I, happy. I yeah, knew yeah. that you were going to know it just yeah. from that. So, as I said, we're at Point Pleasant, and this is a city in America with a population of just over 4,000 that spreads across an area of just three square miles, which is about 7.7 square kilometers, give or take. So it's relatively small when it comes to cities and whatnot. The city is encompassed by rolling countryside and it sits on the Ohio River. It's a small, quaint place where everyone seems to know everyone and you can't walk down the street without running into someone you Mm. know, which I very much uh, empathise with being in the mountains. The mountains is quite similar in that way. It's regarded as a quiet and peaceful place. Well, it was until something unknown started to harass the people of the town, mm-hmm. something that is still highly spoken about today. In the late 1960s, people began to report sightings of a creature in the area, a creature that was mysterious and terrifying, Apparently this creature was so horrifying that at least one person is said to have suffered psychological trauma for years after witnessing it. So, as I said, we're in 1966 and it's the 12th of November. But our story doesn't exactly start at the quaint and peaceful Point Pleasant just yet. Right now we're at Clendenin, West Virginia. There's a group of five men who are grave diggers working at a local cemetery doing what I presume was digging a grave. And we part, hope so. <laughs> uh, you would want to hope so, otherwise they're slacking off. Yeah. <laughs> Partway through their night shift, they notice something strange, something that they've never seen before. They had glanced up from their work as something large and dark flew right over their heads. Their first impression was that this was some kind of person somehow moving above them. (laughs) But then they quickly realised it was a massive figure that was flying from tree to tree. (sighs) It looked like what the workers described as a big brown grey flying creature. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. They watched it for about five minutes before it swooped low near their heads and then took off into the distance. So this is the first reported sighting of what would come to be known as the Mothman, Mm. which is, Mm. I feel like this Mm. is kind of like quintessential Steph material. Yeah, I feel like when you like X-Files music or like some... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So you probably know most of this information already, I would say. But I would absolutely say I do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but gonna, I love hearing it. I mean, I listen to memory. podcasts of things that I know all the time. Yeah. Because I just love listening to stories. Oh, so. totally. It's so hard knowing whether to do a story that I know that you already know, or do mm. I do one that you possibly no, don't? No, because I've done know. stuff that you know as well. 
Yeah, it is always so exciting to hear when it's like, yeah. oh, I know this one, I know this one. Yeah, because you might tell me something I don't know. Oh, maybe. I highly doubt it, though. <laughs> so now we can head to Point Pleasant, which is also in West Virginia. It's three days after the gravediggers' first initial sighting, and there is a group of two couples, Linda and Roger Scarberry, and Mary and Steve Mallet, who have just been on a lovely double date together. They were driving back home all together, and they were travelling near the old TNT area, and more on this area later. I'll explain a little bit more about that. So, yeah, they were driving near the TNT area when they all saw a grey-winged creature that was about six or seven foot tall standing by the side of the road. Mm. Mm-hmm. They said that the creature almost looked like a man, but a lot taller. The creature they saw had bright red glowing eyes about two inches in diameter and sat about six inches apart. <laughs> Which is very far apart. I didn't apart. remember the two inches wide part. That's that is a, a massive eyeball. That is. And that they're is so far big. apart as well, you know? Two inches. That's fucking huge. That is a, that's an orange. That's an orange. It's an orange eyeball. Yep. Well, it's red. It's a red, it's <laughs> it's a red, red eyeball. eyeball. Exactly. <laughs> two, big, two red eyeballs. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it had a wingspan of approximately 10 feet, and it seemed like it was trying to avoid the bright headlights of the car, which is very mothy, obviously. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, yeah. So they also noticed that in front of the creature was what looked like the carcass of a dead dog. One night before, that there had actually been another reported incident involving a dog and another weird creature miles mm. away from Point Pleasant in Salem. Mm. There was a man named Newell Partridge who witnessed glowing red eyes in the field outside his home. After just looking at the eyes a bit harder and allowing his eyes to adjust, he noticed the glowing red came from a dark figure that was perched on a branch in a tree about 100 metres away. Oh, my God. <laughs> Imagine seeing that outside oh. your home. Oh. Then it quickly rose up into the air and quickly flew away into the surrounding woods while letting out a blood-curdling scream as it flew. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Terrifying. Not the, yeah, it's just like the scariest thing you'd ever want to see. Oh, like, yeah. While you're in your house and there's a yeah. dark field and that's exactly what you're saying. He knows where I live. He knows where I live. <laughs> so Newell's dog, who was named Bandit, chased after the creature. And after that, Bandit was never seen again. Oh, Bandit. Yes. So many believe that this body that the couple saw next to the creature oh. after their double date was Bandit, the German Shepherd. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So even though the two events were quite um, far apart distance-wise from oh, each he other. Can fly. Oh, he yeah. can fly real fast, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just one night before that this mm. happened. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yep, the timeline kind of, you know, makes sense. 
So according to the four witnesses, when they drove past the creature, it began to rise into the air and chase after their car while still flying. And they said that this guy was able to fly at incredible speeds. They approximated that it was flying at around 100 miles per hour, which is about 160 kilometers oh, per fuck hour. Oh, okay. I was, I was like, please do it in kilometers. Oh, yeah. Always in kilometers. Yeah. 100 and I've never. Yeah, 160 yeah, like the, kilometers the, per hour. I think the fastest I've ever been in, in a car was like. 120 and that was like when yeah. i was a kid and yeah. they don't even do 120 anymore in uh, australia no it's on the highways so fast i suppose he's oh. got a huge wingspan and so yeah and just like the need for speed you know just he's got things to do speed. he's got he's got dogs oh, yeah. to drop off and yep yep he's a speed demon <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. so that's what they should have called him <laughs> <laughs> the speed demon. Yeah, the speed demon. <laughs> Dead a missed Mustang. opportunity. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So they were actually able to estimate this speed because the Mothman was able to keep up with their car while they were driving at 100 miles per hour. And this is how they could tell how fast he was going. Oh. And although this thing was an incredible flyer, the witnesses said that it was absolutely a clumsy runner on foot mm. and he just kind of shuffled while he was trying to walk. <laughs> the Mothman chased the car all the way to the outskirts of town and then when it stopped chasing them, it let out a loud scream and headed back in the direction of the TNT area. Mm. He loves screaming. He yeah. loves, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it would be. I, I can't even. I'm imagining like a, a velocity. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, like a pterodactyl. A pterodactyl. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so after word got out about this encounter, a press conference was held on the 16th of November where the Scarberry and Mallet couples gave their recounts of what happened. Knowing how absurd this must have sounded, to a bunch of small local papers in a small Appalachian community, Roger Scarberry insisted that what he saw was not a figment of his imagination. Mm. He said in the conference, if I had seen it by myself, I wouldn't have said anything. But mm. there were four of us who saw it. Yep. So information given at the press conference hit the newspapers that same day with word of these encounters spreading like wildfire. Mm. Although the papers reporting the encounter were pretty sceptical off the bat, and this definitely came through in the language that they used. In the reporting, one of the papers called the creature a large bird as well as a man with wings. And even though the latter of these two descriptions is slightly more accurate, it still didn't portray the imposingness of what the group saw. But the scepticism from the people at the Point Pleasant Register didn't discourage the hordes of people that claimed they had witnessed the Mothman throughout the city of Point Pleasant the following year after these first initial reports. In fact, there were a total of eight new sightings in only the short span of three days after 
the That's initial reports. It's a lot. Mm. With two of those sightings coming from a couple of firefighters who said they saw a very large bird with glowing red eyes. Yeah. The legend of Mothman was quickly and solidly taking shape, and these reports were just taking off in Point Pleasant. On the same day that the newspaper ran the story of the Scarberry and Mallet encounter, there was another sighting that occurred only miles away. Actually, the papers hadn't even been distributed to people's front doorsteps yet by the time mm. this sighting happened. So Mr. and Mrs. Wormsley and their friend, Marcella Bennett, who had who also had her baby daughter with her, who was named Tina, were on their way to visit another family who were the Thomas family. I was going to say, I love the idea of having a baby and naming it Tina. Tina. Like, just like... Just t- you, I can't just even think, imagine a baby called Tina. I can't Tina. Even imagine. Like, every Tina has just never been It's never a baby. been a baby to me, yeah. You're instantly an adult. Yeah. That's so <laughs> funny to me. That is pretty funny. <laughs> so... Sorry. The Thomas family lived just on the outskirts of the town, which I'll just remind you is only three square mile in size. And when they reached the Thomas family home, they were starting to get out of the car to go inside. But before they could head into the house, they instantly noticed something weird and disturbing. All of the people there outside the house that day saw a large, dark, brownish-grey creature, larger than a tall man, with Mm. glowing red eyes rise up from the ground nearby. Mm. Marcella, who became so shocked and terrified by what she was looking at, actually forgot that she was holding her baby Tina and the baby fell to the ground. Tina. <laughs> Tina. Uh, bloody Tina. That's sad, but it does make me laugh. I don't know why. Because her name's Tina. Yeah. It's probably tough. God. That's what you get. You know? That's what you get for being called Tina. Yeah. <laughs> so still in a state of panic, she picked up Tina and, <laughs> oh, God, I can't say the name now. Is it Christina for short? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's not even a baby named Christina. It doesn't Christ- even make sense. Christina is like just the same as Tina in my eyes. So she picked up the baby and they all ran to the Thomas house, violently knocking at the door and yelling until one of the Thomas kids let them in. When the group were running towards the house, they said that they saw this mothman shuffling and chasing after them. I... Hey, I hate that so as well. Much. That is the worst part about this. Shuffling and chasing after them. Yeah, because <laughs> he's so bad on foot, yeah, so he just kind of shuffles. Just can't fucking walk. It's terrible. It's a wheels, man. Yeah, chucking some rollerblades, a little and... scooter or something. Yeah, a little racing scooter. <laughs> it swings it down. Adorable. Oh. Yeah. So. Even once they were inside, the Mothman continued to terrorise them by peering Mm. in through all the windows. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was a a lurker. So the group called the police, not knowing what to do or even what they were seeing. But by the time the police arrived, the creature was gone. 
poor Marcella even dropping her child. She was so terrified. And unfortunately, this isn't the last time that she would be visited by the Mothman. Oh, no, she's cursed. She is cursed. So Marcella actually lived near the TNT area, which was the place I mentioned earlier where the two couples witness Mothman chasing their car. Marcella claimed that the creature continued to terrorize her on several occasions after her first encounter. She would see the Mothman around her home and looking through her windows. Yes, and she even said that she heard its blood-curdling scream throughout the dead of night. What the fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. Terrifying. (laughs) So, So fucking scary. Unf- oh my god. Yeah, and unfortunately Marcella's experience with the Mothman really affected her mental health. Oh, as yeah, it for would. sure. Very understandable. She suffered constant nightmares along with depression and anxiety after what she had been through and this would last for years oh for Marcella. My god, that's so sad. I mean, I I get it like yeah. You're being kind of harassed by this terrifying thing. Fuck that. You'd constantly... see it once and that'd be enough yeah, for you. Yeah, you'd constantly yeah. be anxious that it's just going to turn up again. Mm. So this is now the second instance of the Mothman being seen around the TNT area of Point mm-hmm. Pleasant, and it's a pretty curious location all on yeah. its own. It's a large tract of land that is filled with domed concrete structures known as igloos. And these structures were used during World War II to store ammunition. And even today, there is evidence of gunpowder still being found around the site. <laughs> the TNT area is pretty much connected to a, a 2,500-acre wildlife station, which is kind of like a national park that we he- have here in Australia, but smaller. Mm-hmm. It's covered in dense forest and steep hills, and it also has an array of tunnels underneath the ground. Oh, creepy. Mm, yeah. you can go in them. Well, exactly. It's... Mm. Uh, That's where the Mossman lives. Yeah. At its peak, the TNT area employed thousands of people, and if you were employed there, generally you would get picked up on a bus get taken to your work area where you would work for the day without leaving your designated space and the bus would pick you up and take you back out of the site. Right. You weren't allowed to leave your area and you really knew nothing else of the going-ons of the other areas. Yeah. And apparently all the windows of the buildings that you would drive past on the bus were blacked out, never being able to see what was on the inside. Hmm. So a little bit sus. Yeah, that is weird. The site was basically used to manufacture and store ammunition during the war, but there are definitely rumours of other more secretive happenings at the place. These days, the site is highly contaminated and polluted after all the chemicals were left to seep into the ground and the water after the war, Mm. and it was declared by the EPA as an environmental disaster area. So it has been cleaned up now, but the water is still very contaminated. And oh, God. So it's okay. still, because lots of people still, 
go in there to explore and stuff and yeah you know it's safe to do so but you know um wouldn't be drinking the water anytime soon (laughs) yeah just licking out of the puddles in the ground yeah definitely wouldn't do that so it's also believed by many witnesses and non-witnesses alike of the mothman that this is where he lives specifically he lives it's thought in the north power plant of the tnt area Mm. there's speculation that he's a mutant that was affected by all the chemicals and byproducts of the TNT area. And there's also speculation that he was born of secret experimentation that was undergoing in the buildings that had the blacked out windows. Right. And a lot of the sightings of Mothman have occurred at the TNT area especially in that tower that is thought it's where he lives. And this does give credit to this at least being where his home is. Yeah. There were many more encounters of Mothman throughout 1966 and it really peaked by 1967. But during November of that 1967, almost exactly a year since the very first Mothman sighting was reported, something else really terrible was to hit Point Pleasant. There was a local bridge in town named Silver River Bridge that crossed over the Ohio River and it collapsed one afternoon in heavy peak hour traffic. Mm. A huge number of cars were driving over the bridge in this Mm. peak hour and many of them plunged down into the icy river when the bridge gave way, ultimately killing 46 people. Oh, my God. It's It's such a big bridge as well. It was huge. It was huge. And there was a a lot of people survived, but Mm. many more died than how Mm. many survived. And it's really, really sad. Mm. I think it's like two bodies were never recovered. So, um, which is also, you know, pretty sad. Um, A single faulty eye bar was to blame for this, but Hmm. there are a lot of people who attribute this disaster to the Mothman. Yeah. Due to the uncanny timing of this tragedy being almost exactly a year to the date since the Mothman sighting, to Mm. the first Mothman sighting, Mm. as well as people claiming they saw Mothman nearby to the bridge collapse on the day is the reason that many do believe that he was involved in this disaster. Mm. Following the Mothman encounters, the bridge collapse was the second mm. terrible and bizarre thing to happen that put Point Pleasant on the map. Yeah. Which also created speculation that the Mothman was somehow behind this event. So mm. it all just kind of lined up in a way that... I can I can totally see how that would be weird. Yes. And yeah. It's fucking strange. I think, especially if you were living in Point Pleasant, it felt connected because there were mm-hmm. two big things that were happening almost yeah. at the same time. Like these Mothman sightings were like absolutely just not uh, to say the talk of the town is like an understatement. It was yeah. like everyone you were everyone either, knew everyone yeah. knew about it. Either you saw Mothman or someone you knew saw Mothman. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it was like this big scary thing. And then the bridge collapse happened. So I think that's yep. why it all kind of yeah feels. Together. A big lead up to something yeah, massive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
And sightings of Mothman after this event pretty much ceased altogether mm-hmm. after a whole year of report mm-hmm. after report every day from people in Point Pleasant. Yeah. And this also helped the word spread that Mothman attributed to the bridge collapse as well. So the Mothman eventually became seen as almost a harbinger of death, seen as a creature that brings death or a creature that will warn you of incoming death. People have different ideas. Mm. So, yeah, he definitely fluctuates in and out of being malignant and benign with people having their own perceptions of what his existence means. Yeah. Uh, So what are some theories on what Mothman is other than what I've mentioned about mutations, et cetera, et cetera? So some skeptics say that it's just a hoax pulled by some local teenagers in costumes. That's a pretty big Mm -hmm. one. And others say that it's just a sandhill crane, which is a type of bird that has lost its migratory way, Mm -hmm. which that is a theory that does come up most prominently. Yeah. But it doesn't seem likely that this is Mm. what it is. There's even theories that he's nothing more than just a barn owl, but oh, the owl. Uh, it's yeah. always an owl. I personally mm. have never heard of a barn owl reaching mm. seven foot tall, you know, with a ten yeah. foot wingspan. Yeah. And there's still sightings today of the Mothman. In Chicago, there has been mm. an explosion of reports of the creature, and there's even an annual Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant that has become yeah. quite popular for many. I'd love to go. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing to go to mm. that? Oh. And I think it's fair to say that Mothman has become one of the world's most well-known cryptids. He oh, yeah. even has a movie made about him. Mm. So, yeah, that's uh, that's some information on, mm. yeah. on the Mothman. I hope I did oh, you proud. you did such a good job. <laughs> yeah, like you've... You've touched on like everything that needed to be said. Yes, there's a lot it's of such stuff an to interesting talk about. Uh, story, and even so, like that—that—that's that, like what I really knew about Mothman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I encourage you to read Mothman prophecies. Oh, the book. The book. Okay, yeah. Um, that. Because I was like, oh, I know so much about Mothman. Yep. You read the book and you're like, I know nothing, nothing about Mothman. Oh, there I'm are so many. Read it. And, and the people that are listening that have read this book, because mm. I know a few of you have, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there are all these crazy other characters that come into play. Yes. And it's it's a fast, like not even to do with Mothman, just like mm-hmm. just around Point Pleasant it's itself. It's a very strange area. It's a very, yeah, very, um, yeah. It's a very really weird area. area. Yeah, and even like the TNT area of Point Pleasant, that within itself is mm-hmm. very, very interesting. Um, you know, I watched an interview with someone who he mm. either like used to work there or his dad worked there or something. And right. um he said that he like he's convinced that this area mm. had something to do with the creating of the bombs that were dropped right. on Hiroshima because oh. pretty much straight away after the bomb was dropped, the site shut down and oh. just other weird stuff like that. 
Okay. Which isn't necessarily paranormal, but it is strange and Yeah, just very strange. It is yeah. I love the idea as well. A lot of people um really like to view Mothman as a good cryptid yes. and that he was trying to warn, warn people about the yes. collapse of the bridge. Yes. So I think I like I like thinking about Mothman in that kind of way, yeah. Way, mm. but then it's like I, I I understand that, but then I think of that woman with Tina being and terrorized. looking back and he's shuffling I behind know. her. Like, what's he doing? Like, listen to me, please. And he's oh, like well, shuffling towards him. Why else would he? Warn you. Either he's a fucking asshole and he's chasing I, after them or he's, he's trying, trying to, to shuffle to... after them being like, no, I need to tell you something bad yes, that's going to happen. Going to collapse. Listen bridge, to I'm me. Why is everyone running away from me? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's so funny. Guy. Oh, man. Well, we got to Okay, so we did just two very creepy ones. And yes. also people are going to have nightmares tonight because there's a lot of, like, looking out of windows and being yeah, scared. Yeah, that's right. So You know something, sorry, just really quickly, hmm. you know something weird that happened when I what? was researching this? So I was, like, typing up my story and then I decided to, like, check Instagram mm. while I was, like, halfway through my story. And I think it was, like, you posted on maybe, like, Spooky Mountain or your own personal account something mm. about Mothman. And then straight after, someone oh. totally unrelated posted something about Mothman. Mm. And then an artist that I follow who never posts artwork that she's oh. done on like she never posts like paranormal stuff yeah. she posted a picture that she drew of mothman like what all one after the other this is like when i was writing my story that's very strange i know it's weird we've been having a lot of these things happen like at the same time remember when i was doing yeah. the bigfoot episode and ron moorhead like replied to my email <gasps> like halfway right. through the episode and then bill chalker yeah, the well. build the that was insane. Yeah, yeah, when I was doing the Kelly Cahill story. Yes. Um and I was talking And I, I was like, hey, do talk Honestly. Is, yeah. It, crazy. There's crazy. a lot of very strange synchronicities when we've started doing this. Yes. Coinky dinks. Yeah, I love it. It's cool. Yep. All very, right, very sweet. cool. Well, mm. uh, we just want to also give a really special thank you to our Patreons for, yes. for being patrons. You support us in fantastic ways and we love you. And yes, we love you guys heaps. Thank yes. you. And just thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up for you guys soon. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be speaking at you next week. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of Spooky Mountain was created and recorded on land of the original custodians, the Gundungurra and Bidigal people. We pay respects to the past, present and emerging mob. My name is Geordie and I'm a proud Glenia woman. Thank you for listening.